can see our youth have had a wonderful uh, summer thus far, and they still have one more camp to go. We have uh, World Changers, which is coming up not this week, but next week. Uh, and the, this week, our kids uh, just got back from Century Kid uh, last evening, and so I'm sure that there are some of you who are chaperones this week who will be taking a dearly beloved nap this afternoon. Uh, a much needed nap after spending uh, the week with the kids, but we rejoice because God is so good and gracious to work in our hearts and in our lives as we go through the course of this world. As we come this morning, we are turning in our text to First Timothy chapter six, verses twelve through fourteen. And as we come to the end of First Timothy, we have been studying and looking that indeed Timothy was under a man, a man who was under command. Ultimately, the command flows from Jesus Christ through Paul and to Timothy within the church. And as we come today, we are going to continue by looking at the, the text of 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 12 through 14. As we begin today, it is uh, an increasing diminishing trait, within, increasingly diminishing trait within our society to know people who have integrity. To know people who have integrity, one man in the first Gulf War wrote a letter to a senator uh, telling of his support for the ejection of Iraq from Kuwait. He received a letter back from his senator saying that indeed he agreed with President Bush's response to the crisis. He, but he also then received a second letter by mistake from the same senator. And this letter was a, a letter thanking him for opposing the war, pointing out that indeed the senator had voted against the war. I guess he voted for it before he voted against it. And the reality is politicians and crabs share one thing in common and one, one thing in common. You can't tell by what they say whether they're coming or going. And the reality is the senator must have taken the world view that indeed, as one politician once said, I have friends that are for it, I have friends that are against it, and I am for my friends. Here's the problem. It's a problem that is the crisis of integrity, the crisis of character. That we don't know exactly where someone stands. Indeed, within the Christian community, it, there should never be a crisis of integrity of not knowing what someone stands for. Integrity, the character quality of being above reproach, true to your word, and not compromising your principles, even when you're under fire, seems to be in scarce commodity among politicians, our country, and even Christians and Christian leaders within our day. Indeed, Christians should be people marked by integrity and in what we fight for and what we are faithful to, even when we are under fire, even when there are strong temptations to, for, for reasons of political acumen to take cover. If we waffle when the pressure is on us, then it hurts our witness and people shrug off the gospel. It's just another way that we are attempting to make money. It's especially true of Christian leaders. 
If we fudge on integrity, the enemy uses it to dilute the power of the gospel we proclaim to abide by. Integrity is the name of the game when it comes to ministry and when it comes to the proclamation of God's word. For the sake of Jesus Christ, who gave his life for his church, we who preach the word must strive to be men of integrity. But but that puts pastors in a bind because after all, like most people, pastors like people and pastors want to be liked by people. Have you ever found that true in your life? Do you like people? Some of you are going, no. Well, there's other help we can have for you later on. But most of us like people and we want to be liked by people. But listen, the preaching of uncompromising truth and preaching against sin that is called for within the faithful ministry of the gospel does not garner a great deal of popularity in the midst of our culture, in the midst of our community, and even within the midst of our churches. You learn early in ministry, I I mean early in ministry, that you can't please everyone. Indeed, the saying is true. If Jesus himself walked in and pastored a church, some people would have a problem with Jesus. You can't make everybody happy. You can't satisfy everybody. Some are going to smear, some are going to sneer, some are going to spit on you. That's okay. That's okay. Because indeed, we are called to be faithful to God and to God's word and the gospel that he has revealed, not to please people. Indeed, within the pastorate, you're tempted to play the field and to make everyone think that you agree with them. And yet God calls us to stand firm, speak clearly and to stay strong, ministering the message of the gospel. Last week, Paul told Timothy that there are two marks of a mature man of God. First of all, what he flees from, he flees from. From the evil of this world. But secondly, what he follows hard after, he is to follow hard after God and after godliness. Indeed, Timothy was feeling the pressure to compromise within the church, within the Ephesian church. There were false teachers with flawed teachings that had crept in all around him. And now, young, timid, peace loving Timothy had to stand strong against the false teachers in Ephesus. It would have been easy to water down essential truth core doctrinal truth of the Christian faith in the name of peace and unity. But Paul says, listen, Timothy, you straighten your back, you stand strong, you speak clearly, and you tell them what God says no matter what. You be faithful to God and you fight for the faith of Christianity. Paul gives a solemn charge here to fight the good fight of faith, to be faithful to God and to maintain his integrity above all else. Paul exhorts Timothy, fight the good fight. Timothy, take hold of eternal life. Grasp the eternal life that has been given you and keep the commandment to which you have been entrusted. So we take our Bibles this morning. Let's turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 12 through 14. And let's see Paul's command to young Timothy to fight the good fight of faith. Let's stand now in honor of the reading of this God's holy and inspired word. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 12 through 14. Fight the good fight of faith. 
take hold of eternal life to which you were called, and you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus who testified the good confession before Pontius Pilate that you keep the commandment without stain or reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will bring about at the proper time. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. Keep the commandment without stain or reproach. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. Lord, that it finds us exactly where we are. Our tendency to compromise, to water down the truth of your scriptures. And it tells us to straighten our backs. To stand firm, to trust in you, that you are the one who guards us and guides us. You are the one who gives us life and eternal life. And Lord, you are the one who will bring us to be with you. And so we entrust ourselves not to our power, not to our popularity, not to our presence of mind. But we entrust ourselves to you and to your power. Lord, we ask now that your Holy Spirit would come and illuminate the word that he has inspired so that we might rightly understand it and rightly apply it into our lives and so that we might go out differently than when we came in. Lord, may you lead us and guide us now. And Father, we ask that you would speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. In this passage, Christians are called to live with integrity as we fight the good fight of faith and remain faithful to God in all things. We are called within this passage to be people of integrity, people who not just live in devotion to Christ, but people who would die in devotion to Christ. Not just people who are sometimes about Jesus and sometimes about the things of God, but people who in each and every area and aspect of our lives are fully devoted to to Jesus Christ and living for Him. Though we may be hard-pressed to compromise, to muddy the waters, to sell out, we need to be people who love God, who stand firm for the truth and boldly proclaim salvation through Jesus Christ alone. And so we come to this passage today and we see Paul say, listen, Timothy, you must be a man who lives with integrity, a man who faithfully serves God, a man who faithfully uh, fights for the truth of the faith, A man who keeps the commandment that has been entrusted to him. And we begin there in verse 12 by seeing that a man of God doesn't give up the good fight. A man of God doesn't give up the good fight. He is to fight for the faith. Now, being a man, uh, a spokesman for God calls a man into warfare, not just warfare, but spiritual warfare, not just spiritual warfare, but a continual spiritual warfare, a constant spiritual warfare. It is a continuous battle against the flesh, against the devil and against the resistance of a fallen world that loves sin and error and that hates God's truth and his holiness within the struggle against the world outside of God's kingdom. 
kingdom, there also comes a constant struggle within the church as well. For indeed, there are many apathetic churches and lethargic Christians that are filling our pews. There are many who think that country club Christianity is all that it takes to get by. And I'm not worried. I'm just going to come sit soaking sour and then go away happy. I want to challenge you on that. Because Jesus knew nothing of the sort. The New Testament church knew nothing of the sort of country club Christianity where you came for comfort and convenience not to serve and contend for the God who would save the souls of sinners. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3, Paul exhorts Timothy to suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, Paul actually pins his own epitaph when he says, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the course, I have kept the faith, I have been faithful in everything in life, and now I am prepared to be faithful even unto death for the Savior who has saved my soul and secured my salvation for all eternity. Jesus even warned his disciples when he was getting ready to send them out. I am sending you out. And oh, by the way, you are going to be sheep among the wolves. And oh, by the way, you're going to be persecuted. You're going to have hard times. You're going to face difficult things. And in Matthew chapter 10, verse 22, he says to his disciples, you will be hated by all because of my name. It is the one who has endured to the end who will be saved. Well, I want a nice, cushy life. I want to be comfortable. I want convenience. I I want, I want. That's nice. Jesus Christ said, what? Jesus said, you're going to be persecuted. You're going to be hated if you choose to live by my name. And yet some within the church do not even realize that there is an ongoing spiritual battle. They're not even engaged in a spiritual battle. They're sitting there today looking at me going, Pastor, what are you talking about? There's no hardships. There's no difficulties. I've never had a problem standing for God. And uh, and yet... As such, we ought to begin to question ourselves. If I've never had any hardship, if I've never had any difficulty, am I standing for God? For indeed, there are many who have sought comfort and complacency without being contestants. And as such, they appear to be AWOL in contending for the faith that they say has saved their soul and secured them for all eternity. Yet this approach and attitude to Christianity is nowhere found within the New Testament text. For indeed, in Acts chapter 14, 22, Paul tells the churches that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Second Timothy chapter 2, uh, chapter 3, verse 12, Paul tells Timothy, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. In Matthew chapter 10, verses 37 through 39 it says this he who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me and he who does not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me he who has found his life will lose it and he who has lost his life for my sake will find it jim elliott put it eloquently He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep his earthly life to gain what he cannot lose. God's everlasting eternal life. 
And the question before us today is, what are we concerned about? Do we take up our cross and follow after Christ? Do we, are we worthy of Christ? If our lives do not show some struggle for the sake of God's eternal kingdom, we must ask ourselves, what are we living for? Who are we living for? Ourselves or our Savior? We must ask ourselves these questions. And we understand that that is the setting in which Paul speaks and uses this verb, fight. That word fight in 1 Timothy chapter 6 comes from the root word that we get, from, get our term agonized from. It is a military and athletic term that describes concentration, discipline, conviction, and effort that is put forth necessary to win a battle or athletic contest. Timothy continually agonize, continually concentrate. Young Timothy, continually discipline yourself, continually put forth the effort that is needed to contend for the gospel that has saved your soul and secured you to Almighty God. Timothy, that's the kind of passion you're to have. That's the kind of devotion that you are to show. Don't give up on the gospel truth revealed in the text of apostolic writing called the New Testament. Indeed, in verse 11, we see that there is a contrast between evil and goodness. You can't pursue evil and goodness at the same time. In verse 12, we see the contrast come up between truth and error. You cannot contend for the faith of the gospel, which was once and for all time delivered to the saints, and contend for error. You must Devote yourselves to true and pure doctrine. Ethically, we are to flee evil and pursue godliness. Doctrinally, we are to avoid error and contend for the truth. We are to know doctrine. We are to love doctrine. We are to live doctrine. Our lives should be so changed and transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ that it shows in the way that we talk, in the way that we walk, in the way that we interact with one another let me ask you this morning does it show that you love god and that the doctrine of salvation that flows through freely to all those who repent of their sins and place their faith in christ has changed and transformed your life if it doesn't i would ask you who are you living for yourself or god We wrestle in this body. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. We don't just contend, agonize uh, with... We don't just uh, wrestle with, contend against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against powers and principalities as we saw there in Ephesians chapter 6. Indeed, this this is a war. Life is war. It is a war against the flesh. It is a war against indwelling sin. It's a war against the world and its open hostility to our God. It's a war against Satan and all of his hosts. And that means you and I are to put on the whole armor of God. We're to put on the breastplate of faith. We are to have our loins girded with the truth. And we're to have the breastplate of righteousness and our feet shod for the preparation of the gospel of peace and the shield of faith and the helmet of salvation. We are to take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and we are to continuously be praying with all prayer and supplication. Life is a war, and we need to understand we are either engaged in the battle from the eternal kingdom of the living God or His foes. Listen, you can't stay out of the battle, and I can't either. We're fighting. We are fighting. 
Whose side are we fighting on? What are we fighting for? Did you, this morning when you got up, what did you put on? Did you just go to your closet and look and say, well, what will I look prettiest in today? I'm very thankful I had a wife that laid my clothes out. I didn't even have to think about it. That's, that's wonderful. If you like the dress, uh, tell Olivia. If you don't, don't tell her. Tell me. But here's the thing. What did you put on this morning? Did you just go and look in your clothes uh, in your closet and take out clothes to clothe the outside? Or did you put on the armor of God that is to be worn when we are equipped for spiritual warfare within this world? It is much more pressing. It is much more vital that we make sure we put on the armor of God to live out and to fight the eternal battle that is going on even today. For indeed, we need to understand that today Today, we will be called upon to get engaged in this war. We will be either contenders with God and for God, or we will be contenders on the other side. But we will be fighting a spiritual war today, and we must be prepared. We are engaged in a battle for the eternal salvation of souls, and yet we have, and we have to spend just as much time, just as much energy, focusing, and, uh, focusing as we would when we play golf or tennis or fight Al-Qaeda on the front lines of Afghanistan or Iraq. The same type a focus and fortitude that fills our lives when we go out to the golf course or go out to the tennis court ought to fill our lives when we are working and witnessing for the living God. We tend to do well focusing on the things that matter to us most. So what matters to you most today? What are you most concerned about? What is your primary concern in life? Are you most concerned about God and about the gospel or about yourself and your golf game or your tennis game? What's most dear to you? Whatever our primary care and concern is, that's where we'll spend our time. Let me ask you again, hold the mirror of up to your life, of God's word up to your life. Where do you spend most of your time? The gospel, the faith, or on yourself? See, a man or woman of God will contend. They will not give up the fight for the faith that has saved their soul and secured their eternal destiny. This is the truth that has been passed down through the generations all the way from Christ to us sitting here at Adamsville Baptist Church today. It is the faith that is once and for all times given to The saints. And the question is, are we living in that? Are we fighting for it? Are we being diligent to seek and to serve God in the midst of everything going on in our life? Secondly, a man of God uh, doesn't doesn't just not give up the good fight. But second of all, a man of God doesn't let go of the faith. A man of God doesn't let go of the faith. See, Paul exhorts Timothy to take hold of, to keep your grip on the eternal life to which God in His loving kindness graciously called him. In other words, Timothy, you did not gain or give yourself eternal life. You weren't able to work yourself into God's kingdom. It is not just because you are good enough and somehow you were able to earn yourself into God's kingdom. God has called you. God has has worked in your heart. God has 
by the power of the Holy Spirit, set you apart so that you might be sons and daughters of God. And because God has called you to repent of your sins and trust by faith in Jesus Christ through the work of the Holy Spirit, now, Timothy, you live in the experience of eternal life. You make sure that you are walking hard after God. Indeed, we understand within this context, since God has called you and since God has saved you, Timothy, you are to live out the gospel. He's not saying, Timothy, you need to be saved. Reach out and grab the rope and pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. This is not the gospel of solo bootstraps. I'll just pull myself out of sin. I'll pull myself out of the muck and the mire. Oh, no, 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 no. You can't do that. It is the love of God that reaches down, the grace of God that reaches down into the miry pits and takes your hand and pulls you out. It is not that you can pull yourself out. Timothy, you gave public witness to this, both at your baptism, the outward sign and symbol that one has repented of their sins and rested their faith, their hope, and their trust on Jesus Christ. That step when we take the, the step to follow after Christ and make the confession that indeed Jesus Christ is Lord and that He is raised from the dead, the natural outflow, the next step is to then go to the baptismal pool and give an outward sign, an outward symbol to all those around us and say, I am am a disciple of Christ. He has called me and grafted me by grace into his glorious kingdom. And now I am being buried with him in the likeness of his death, raised again to walk in newness of life, just as he was raised again. That is the outward sign and the symbol of what has inwardly changed and transformed in the heart of the Christian. Timothy, when you were baptized, you gave a common confession before many. When you were laid, when the elders laid hands on you, as was mentioned in chapter 4, verse 14, you indeed gave a testimony that indeed Jesus is Lord and that you have believed in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. Timothy, you are saved. Now live in the experiential reality of eternal salvation and hope through the rest of your earthly days. Don't be concerned with situations and circumstances in the midst of this earthly world. Don't engage in petty and meaningless battles of this passing world. Don't you focus yourself on Christ and eternal things of God's kingdom. Don't you focus yourself on these things here on this earth, but rather focus yourself entirely on Christ and the eternal things of God's kingdom. You devote yourselves to the things of eternal value, God's word, God's work, and the everlasting souls of mankind. Timothy, don't you let go of the salvation that you have gained, the eternal life that you have received. Church, for this, it means we need to put a premium on the things that are most important. It means that we need to lay aside the foolish things and lay aside the earthly things and grasp and grab hold of those things that are most important, those things that are of eternal value. Listen, there's to be no argument about carpet color or just style of music or personal preference on peripheral matters of the church. We are to be convinced and convicted that these things are passing away, but God's word will never pass away, nor will the souls of men that are forever dead 
destined for heaven or hell. And so our most passionate moments should not be over the color of the carpets, the style of music, the place we meet. The most passionate moments in our lives ought to be concerned with God's word and the work of getting God's word out to as many men as possible because eternal destiny is at stake. We need to be convinced and convicted that it is much more important for our kids to know the gospel than it is for our kids to behave so that they don't embarrass us. If you want to hear more about that, come on Wednesday night. We've got a great parenting class going on. We need to be convinced that the gospel is more important than our personal preference on peripheral matters within the church of Jesus Christ. What's most important to you? What do you make the biggest beef about? What do you have the biggest bone about? I just don't like how he talks. I don't like how he preaches. I don't like how he looks. I don't either. Those things are passing away. Praise God. He is working to redeem us moment by moment, day by day. Timothy lived with a firm grasp on the eternal reality of God, God, His Word, and His kingdom. Indeed, there are some who have let go, some who have shipwrecked, as he is referred to in chapter 1, at the end of chapter 1. There are some who have shipwrecked their faith in the course of their life. But understand this, 1 John 2 verse 19 tells us it is not that they somehow let go of eternal life. It is not that they somehow forfeited eternal life that they had once gained. They went out from us because they were never truly of us. Timothy, don't you be one that goes out from us because you were never truly of us. Don't you be a make-believer. You sell everything out to serve the living God. A man or woman of God doesn't let go of an eternal perspective to live for the earthly pleasures of here and now. A man of God fights a good fight of faith. A man of God doesn't let go of eternal life. A man of God keeps the commandment. Now the key to the verses 13 and 14 is found in that little phrase when Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, keep the commandment. All the rest of verses 13 and 14 explain that simple but potent phrase. Verse 13 tells Timothy why he should keep it, why he should keep the commandment. Verse 14 tells how he should keep the commandment. But we must ask the question, what commandment is it that Paul is speaking of? What commandment is Paul speaking of? Well, in chapter 1, verse 5, Paul has commanded Timothy to instruct the church to love from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. In chapter 1, verse 18 and 19, Paul has commanded him to fight the good fight, keep the faith, and a good conscience. In chapter 2, verses 1 through 8, Paul has implored him that the church put a priority on evangelistic prayer for all those who do not know him. In chapters 2 and 3, Paul goes on and commands the church to be ordered around the gospel in the daily lives of those that participate in the worship of God the the elders the deacons and all the mature saints are to be are to commonly confess Jesus was revealed in the flesh he was vindicated by the spirit he was seen by angels he was proclaimed among the nations he was believed on in the world and he has been taken up into glory in chapters 4 and 5 Paul tells them that Timothy to reject the false teachers with their flawed teaching Timothy in speech in conduct in love and 
faith and in purity. So you are to show the gospel that has transformed all of your life so that you might indeed share and show the gospel in your daily living. Timothy, you are to give attention to leading and feeding God's flock by public reading of scripture, exhortation and teaching. In chapter 6, Timothy, you are to renounce and flee from the evil of this world to follow hard after God and to be godly indeed. Timothy, you are to live with godliness godliness with great with contentment is great gain timothy you are not to desire the things of this world you are to live for god and god alone timothy you keep the commandment what commandment paul the command to love the lord jesus christ with all your heart with all your soul and with all your mind, you keep the commandment, the gospel that has saved your soul and secured you for eternal, for eternity. Be convinced that the God, Timothy, that the gospel of God's salvation is more pre- precious than anything this world could ever offer you or anything death could ever take from you. Timothy, you keep the commandment of the gospel. You give yourself fully. Only to God. And to his salvation. Jesus is the sovereign savior. He is the sovereign savior for sinners. And you have said that you surrendered your life. And trusted him as your Lord and savior. You live Timothy as he is your Lord and your king. In case you are tempted to wander, Timothy, in these affections, I want you to remember that God is the source and sustenance of all life, that God gives life. God is the one who spoke into nothing nothing and created everything. God is the one who gives life. He sustains life. He takes life. God is also the one who is able to raise the dead back to life. God is in control of every area and aspect of our life. And as such, God will sustain His children until His sovereign purposes are completed. As long as God has for you to be here and to continue on, Timothy, God will leave you right here. You don't worry about the situations and circumstances. You see that God is sovereign and you trust in his timing and give yourself fully and only to him. If that isn't enough for you, young Timothy, then I want you to look to Jesus Christ, the one who made the good confession before Pontius Pilate, the one who testified that he indeed is the way, the truth, and the life and no one comes to the father but by me for indeed jesus is your supreme earthly example the one that is held fast to the confession and fully devoted himself to god the father in the word no matter the cost knowing that he was about to pay the penalty of his only own life he stood before pontius pilate and gave a gave a good confession when he said in 18 in john chapter 18 verse 37 when pilate asked him so you are a king he said you say correctly that i am a king for this i have been born and for this i have come into the world to testify to the truth everyone who is of the truth hears my voice timothy look if you're ever tempted to walk away and to say it isn't worth it i'm throwing in the towel run up the white flag i'm giving up timothy don't do it keep the commandment why because you look to jesus When it hurt him most, he didn't throw in the towel. He didn't say, it's too tough. Going's too hard, road's too rough. I'm quitting. 
He went to the cross so that He could shed His blood to pay the penalty for your sins and my sins. Indeed, He is our supreme earthly example. He knew and trusted God. Jesus knew and trusted God the Father to deliver Him in life and in death. Indeed, we need to see and understand that though He was without sin, He did not waver. When Pilate asked Him the question, He proclaimed, I indeed am a king, not the king that you're looking for, not the king of just this earthly realm. I am the king, the eternal king, who reigns and rules over all things. I spoke and made everything that exists. I have given you breath. I have given you life. And if you knew the truth, you would hear my voice and you would receive me as a king. And yet, he was received as a common criminal. And he suffered and died, gave up his own life so that we might have everlasting life. First Peter chapter two, verses, verses 21 through 24 tell us that he is the example that we are to follow. It says, you have been called for this purpose since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might live, might die to sin and live to to righteousness for by his wounds you were healed see our lord boldly stood firm and stood his ground he boldly proclaimed the truth and he entrusted his life to god and the man of god can do no less why keep the commandment because god is in control and because jesus is our earthly example Paul concludes by telling Timothy how to keep the command. How are you to keep it? Well, Timothy, you are to keep it, the commandment, without stain or reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will bring about at the proper time. Paul concludes by saying, listen, Timothy, your life should should contain no stain or blemish. There should be no legitimate charge that is ever brought against you to call into question your character. You should be above reproach in every way so that there is no shipwreck that would mar the gospel witness and work of the church. He was to be completely faithful until Christ returned to call the church home to glory. Timothy was to live in his devotion to Christ until his earthly death or until Christ's glorious arrival, Christ's glorious epiphany and returning this eternal perspective and desire for Christ to to return and find us faithful should give great encouragement to the Christians who serve that we are to serve with all we have for as long as we have until the Lord Jesus Christ returns. Let me ask you, how long is long enough for you? Well, it's been an hour and Ten minutes now. This is long enough. Well, one day a week I can give God. Well, I'll give Him maybe a few weeks, a couple months. I'll concentrate from time to time. No. Christ gave His life for us. 
And we are to give our lives to Him fully for as long as it, as it takes for us to die or for Him to return. Is the going tough for you today? Is the way getting wearisome? Are you bloodied and beaten from the battle that you have walked in? Are the wounds open before you as you wrestle with Satan and strive to lay hold of eternal life? Then you look to Jesus. You look to Him because He indeed was the one who was scourged for your sin. He was beaten and buffeted because of your sin. He was ridiculed and reviled. He was spit upon and tortured, sent to his death. Let the vision of Jesus, Jesus Christ ever be before you because he is there with you to encourage you in the battle through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Have you have before you a vision of the greatness and the glory and the majesty and the immensity of our God? You say to me this morning that you can't even put one foot in front of the other because you know your own weakness. And I say to you, then cast all of your cares upon the sovereign Savior who will provide strength and sustain you in the midst of all the sticky situations and circumstances of life. You cast yourself upon Christ. Love Him as He loved you. Live for Him as He lived for you, even being willing to die. You draw your strength from Him who is the Sovereign and who sits upon the throne as the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. You turn to Him who can do exceedingly abundantly more than we could ever ask or imagine. And you give yourself unreservedly to Him and say, God, in the same way you gave your life for me, I give my life back to you. Timothy, you keep the commandment. Be faithful to God. Are you faithful to God? If Jesus Christ was to return today, would he find you faithful? Would he find you unspotted and unmarred by the things of this world? Would he find you ready to see him face to face? If not, then I pray that today would be the day you surrender your life and your heart and that you would serve him for the rest of your life, being willing not just to live in devotion, but to die in devotion to the one who died for you. For indeed, today there's an answer for your stains and your blemishes. For there is a fountain filled with blood flowing from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunge beneath that flood Lose all their guilty stains. Will you come to Jesus? Lose all of your guilty stain. And entrust yourself to Him forever. Father, we ask today that there would be many that would hear the gospel message. Father, that they would surrender their hearts, their lives. Father, their stuff. So that they might know the fullness of salvation in the course of their life. We ask that, Father, as you work upon our hearts, that you would cause us to see our sin, that you would cause us to see our shame, that you would cause us to see our stains and blemishes, and, Father, that you would cause us to come and lay them down before your throne and ask for your forgiveness. And, Father, that we can understand and know that your forgiveness comes through the blood of Jesus Christ that makes the guiltiest of sinners into 
the godliest of saints. Not by what we do, but by what you do in, in our salvation. Lord, lead us and guide us now in this time of decision. Give us great wisdom. And Lord, let us be willing to lay down our lives so that you might pick them up and use them by your grace and for your glory. All these things we pray now in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand now for our hymn of invitation. If you have a decision that you would like to make this morning, I invite you.